I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. What Drives You is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Yeah. Welcome Driven Community and thank you for joining the conversation as always. We all want to live a driven, inspired and peaceful life and together we're learning to drive further and enjoy the ride. This is what drives you and I'm your host Kevin Miller. In this episode we're continuing our series on belief by looking at misbelief. And we're back with our expert, Dan Ariely, to see what drives him. And we'll give special attention uh, also in that to the beliefs that drive Dan. Dan, again, is an Israeli-American professor and author who serves as a James B. Duke Professor of Psychology and Behavioral Economics at Duke University. Uh, Dan is the co-founder of several companies implementing insights from behavioral science his latest book and our muse for this series is called misbelief what makes rational people do irrational things dan welcome back lovely to be back i uh, had a great uh, a wonderful experience the first time we talked well likewise i'm so grateful that you came back for this one i i, I enjoy this so much because it gets to the root of you and gives more context to the message that you're bringing us in your books and and in what you do overall. So in looking at that, you know, I normally ask what drives you, you know, what are your values in these areas? Though with you, I want to overlay that word of beliefs too, because as you know, that's generally what drives us for better and worse, as we talked about in the first show together. So the first category here is spiritual. And so I'll ask you, talk about an area where people speak about their beliefs uh, either more than usual or not at all. It's the area of spirituality, but I'll ask you then what drives you in this category of your life, Dan? So, so, you know, I, I think that the, the thing that drives me the most, and, and I'm, I'll put the spirituality question next is uh, the idea that we can do much better. Hmm. Right. So, so I look at, I look at the, the question of where we are, where we are in terms of, uh, how much we manage our sleep and money and health and relationship and hate and the environment and, and politics. And I look at all of these things and I ask myself, could we do better? Could we do better? And, and within that, and, and for many things, I think we can do much better. And then within those things, I ask myself, 
can I help to do better? So I'm a social scientist, so I asked the question of whether social science can contribute. Can, can, can social science contribute to the question of can we sleep better and be nicer to each other and, and so on? And I, I look at, at the gaps between where I think we could be and where we are, and I ask the question of can we, can we bridge those and, and can bridging them be part of social science within, more within my grasp? So, you know, the analogy is for each person, I think, to ask themselves, like, what can I do to, to reduce that gap, whether it's in my own life, the life of the people close to me, society in general, and so on. And this is why, for example, whenever anybody from a government asks me to do something, mm -hmm. I always help. Why? Because governments, you know, whatever they do, they can influence lots of people. So if you can change the way the government, I don't know, does taxes on sugary drinks, or you get to get the government to get people to save a little bit more money, or you get right. the schools to be slightly better, the impact is, is just very broad and, and very, very large. But, but you asked the question about spirituality, and I, I end up believing in karma. And I'll tell you what I mean by, by karma. Um, there's lots of definitions of this, but my yeah. version of it is that um, you put out good things in the world, and by that you increase probabilistically the chance that good things would, would end up coming. But it's not deterministic. It's not, oh, if I would you know, ver work very hard on the project with... Um, you know, orphan kids, things would work out better. No, it doesn't have to be. It's not deterministic, but it basically says if I work and produce good things, there's a chance that it would be it would be picked up. And 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 this for me ends up being um, a very important uh, way to believe because, yeah. like everybody else, I experience lots of failures. Yeah. So, so I'll give you an example. Uh, during COVID, for example, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was a dramatic, dramatic increase in domestic violence. Uh, some was against um, adults, and a lot was against kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the sad thing about domestic violence is that every time you put people together, there's increase in domestic violence. Right? It's just. And, and especially you put people together with tension and stress and so on and bad things happen. And I worked very hard to create a program that would decrease uh, violence against kids. It was a program that a kid had a, a little um, avatar and they would have a discussion and we would slowly understand how they're doing in terms of sleep and stress and food and shouting and and violence and so on, and then we could um, uh, dispatch some um, some help if if needed. Um, eventually, we couldn't get that program to to be adopted, and it wasn't because it was not a good program. It was because the authorities were very afraid that um, they would find out how many kids needed help, and they would be unable to help all of them. Wow! So it has to do with the legal issues yeah. of what do you do when you have information and you can't act on it. So they didn't want to know 
And of course, it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking to find out here was a method to, to, to maybe get things better, not solve it, of course, but slightly to improve on what's going on. And for legal reasons, we couldn't do it, privacy and, and capacity. But, but my belief in karma basically say that I need to produce good things and then sometimes the world would take them and run with it and sometimes the world would not. But, but my responsibility ends to produce good things at the best of my ability and then, but I'm not responsible for, for the, whole, yeah. the whole chain. So for example, that project, even though it was in some sense a waste of time, I don't think of it as a waste of time. I think to myself, I did my best. I saw a problem. I realized it was painful. I realized I had something that I thought I could do about it, and I tried it out. And in this particular case, you know, the world did not um, did not take it forward, which is a, which is a shame. But I created a high quality direction of doing something that could have been helpful. So, so for me, like life is a gamble, and and we are responsible for for doing good things. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it doesn't, but we shouldn't get discouraged. Like, you know, the last thing I want to do is to say, oh, you know, they didn't work out. Let me stop trying. No, no, no. I should feel good about that and I should keep on trying. And, you know, even if like in this particular case, because I thought we could make such an impact, even even in, if one in 20 times works out, it's a good gamble. Yeah. Because it, the one in the 20 is is going to be enough make enough good things to to make up for all the all the failed ones well it so, brings so, to mind to me that faith i mean a part of spirituality is faith and you're putting these things out not with an expectation of if i do x i'll receive x it's not a reciprocal expectation but it is a faith that the more good you put out that you will statistically uh, probability receive more good I, I i appreciate it greatly that's right and and that my responsibility ends at the the quality of the product of the work that yeah. I produce. Yeah. Wow. But if the world if the world doesn't take it on still. And by the way, this is also what I tell my students. Yeah. I say if you worked on a project and it was good, thoughtful, you did your work, even if the experiment did not show the the results you expected or whatever happened, you've done your work. If you've done your work, you should be proud and try to continue doing that. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. 
Air Doctor. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. You've done your work. If you've done your work, you should be proud and try to continue doing that. Well, so I'm curious then the next category is relationships. And I could see you taking that same concept into relationships as well. Uh, tell me about that then. What's what's <laughs> driving you with relationships? So, so, so I've learned a lot about um, relationships in the last in the last few years, and um, let, let, I'll t- I'll give you two two kind of angles on this. Okay. Um, the first one is what is called secure attachment. When secure attachment is usually um, something that we talk about when we talk about kids. Yeah. Are you raising your kids with secure attachment or not? And the, the standard example is you, you have a kid or four years old, you go to the playground and you say, kid, go to the swing. And the kid goes, come back an hour later. If you've done that, you have a kid with secure attachment. On the other hand, if the kid goes to the swing and looks behind your shoulder every 90 seconds to see if you're still there, you're not so successful. And, and the way I think about it is that usually when we think about resilience, we say to ourselves, okay, life goes on, goes on, goes on. At some point, something bad happens and we have a huge decrease in quality of life. And usually resilience is, do we bounce back? And how long it takes us to bounce back? And do we bounce back to the same level we were at or below or even above? So usually resilience is about the bouncing back process. But resilience is not just about the bouncing back. It's also about walking around the world with the feeling of resilience. So it's before anything bad happened. And that's almost like an umbrella insurance, right? In insurance, we have this umbrella insurance that insures you for supposedly everything. 
right? It's not car insurance. It's not house insurance. It's insurance for all the things you haven't thought about. And I think that resilience is, is really insurance about everything. It's about the idea that if I go on in my life and something bad will happen, somebody will catch me, right? And that's a tremendously important decision. It, it sounds like feeling. Faith, it's faith again is what it, I, I bring. Is that fair? Yeah, but, but it, is, it is in people. It is in people, right? So it basically says, I have a romantic partner, I have friends, I have people in my life that I know I can rely on them. And if you know you can rely on people, then you're basically um, walk around the world saying, I can take risks and I can try new things. And if I fail, it'll be fine because somebody would catch me. Uh, the reality is that failure has a very non-symmetrical outcome. So imagine you try something. Imagine that you go to grad school. If you're a success, that's great. But if you fail, could you really pick up after that? All of a sudden you're in debt from grad school and you have no job. You know, so so sometimes sometimes the downside kills us, right? Like we start a new business, if we're successful, great, but if we lose all the money and we get into debt, there's a terrible spiral that goes that goes down. Being in a mindset of resilience and, and secure attachment and knowing that people would catch you basically say, I'll manage. I'll manage. If something else will happen, I will, I will manage. Yeah. And, and the thing about that, that sense of resilience is that we need to invest in it. It doesn't come, it doesn't come without investment. So think about your best friends. Friendship is a question of investment. I'm not talking about you know buying them birthday gifts, right. but it's an investment of time and attention, and you have to share. And and in this day and age, when we travel and do things online and so on, it's easy to neglect. But you know, from time to time, you know, two days ago it was very cold. I was in Vancouver. It would have been easier to to stay in the hotel room and not to go, uh, not to go to have a glass of wine uh, uh, with a friend. Uh, we ended up, but but you know, ended up going. Ended up also having a glass of whiskey instead of wine. But um, you know, there's there's um, it would have been comfortable to stay to stay in the hotel. But no, I I I went out, got a little cold but had a wonderful, uh, meaningful time uh, with somebody I, uh, I care about. So, and, and resilience also in relationship. Right? How do we make sure that the person, a romantic relationship, that the person that is with us knows that we will be there to support them? And how uh, do we know that they will support us? It's so easy to bicker. Why did you keep... Why did you put your shirt here or the cup here or the bathroom? Uh, like, <laughs> the seat. I never understand the seat of a toilet. What's the, <laughs> uh, what's the issue? But, but you know, the, the feeling of, of being supported. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I always suspect that people have good intentions. Like when one of my good friends uh, or 
a romantic partner does anything, my, my first suspicion is that they had good intentions, right? Even if, and, and, and that mindset, first of all, I think it's true, right? It's, I think uh, people, usually people close to us don't have uh, bad intentions. They have the right intentions. Sometimes things don't work out, but it's usually the, um, uh, the right intention. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that I think that love... The, the the potential depth of love are incredible, but what we need to do is to create a trusting environment where that love can flourish. And I think that usually what happens is that people are too guarded. And we're, when we're too guarded, we don't let romantic love flourish. So So imagine... Like it's very easy to think about early days when people just get romantically involved. It's very easy to say, I'm not going to share deep trauma and I'm not going to share fears and I'm not going to share um, you know worries and I'm not going yeah. to share health things. I you know let's you know let's just have coffee or a martini. And, and and stay not not too deep but 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 somebody has to to show vulnerability to start with yeah. and somebody has to show trust because you know if 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 you tell me something that puts you in a vulnerable position you basically show trust right so so i think um you know equilibrium is usually the level that we both agree to have a discussion and we can decide to have a superficial discussion. Let's talk about the weather and sports. And we can decide to have a deep discussion about existential, yeah. existential fears about peace and yeah. uh, the, the role of religion and end of life and you know our personal failings. Now, we can decide to have this conversation and then you and I will find enough topics to talk about the weather and sports, or we can decide to have that conversation, but we just have to decide together. Yeah. The thing about the, the superficial conversation is that it actually creates a barrier because imagine we met and we talked about the weather and sports for two months. How do we move all of a sudden to talk about, like, oh, yeah. you know what? I've, I've met you. I vetted you for two months. Now I'm ready. What are your thoughts uh, about what are your, you know, what are your beliefs? Uh, yes, what comes to mind? Yeah, exactly. Hey, yeah, trust is uh, at the core. It comes up at the core at the foundation of love, and it's very easy to put this on the other person. Fair. Right? Show me that I can trust you, and then I'll reveal more. Yeah. But but we have to take responsibility for this, and and basically say, let me show you that I trust you. Well, and, back to your vulnerability, and that's that's like the chicken or the egg. Am I going to be trust you to be vulnerable, or be vulnerable in order to trust you? Yeah, that's, yeah. So, you know, when I am when I was a when I was a kid, um, there was a guard in a place that I was. Uh, I, I, I had like an after school activity, 
and and he sexually molested me. And oh. doesn't matter the, the the story right now, but 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 you know, telling the the details of that uh, that story, for example, is is basically saying, um, you know, I trust you. Here is something very delicate from my past. Um, got me to experience and think in all kinds of of different uh, of different ways, and I'm trusting you with this uh, with this particular um, uh, piece of information. And right. and the thing about trust is, you know, like you really at the end of the day, we want to have either romantic love or deep friendship. Yeah. With 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 nothing held back, because then then the 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 emotions can just um, become incredibly incredibly strong, and if you keep on being on your guard, um, it's it's just um, you know just such a different relationship. So how do we create? For me, it's about how do we create this deep trust that allows. Uh, love and deep care to flourish. That that feels like the ultimate fairy tale is to not yeah. not have to hold back, to yeah. be able to trust fully. That's right. And and if and then you add to it, always suspecting good. Yeah. Now, so so imagine, just imagine that you have some very dark thought that you're embarrassed about. Um. How good would it be to be with people that you can say, I can share this very dark thought or this uh, dream or, or something I had that it's to a random person on the street, they would think I'm an awful person and they would, you know, but but yeah. somebody who loves me and I trust them and they trust me and they always suspect that I have good good intention, that's a, that's a wonderful gift. It is. It is. Thank you for the vulnerability. That's what's made all of our discussions so, so rich. That's what's made all of our discussions so, so rich. Dan, tell me about health and wellness. What is driving you in your personal upkeep of yourself? I am not so good in this. I'm not so good in this. Um, so, you know, after after I wrote, um, so I've always been busy. I always had a feeling of a mission mm -hmm. that the world can be a better place. And I felt that as a social scientist, I I know some secrets to human behavior mm -hmm. that I need to be out there. So I always had a, a sense of urgency that, there's too many things that are not going in the right direction and social science has something to say about that. And when social science is not implemented correctly, I need to go in and fix that, right? So let's say we talk about uh, people not saving. I felt, okay, if I could just talk to more banks and I could just talk to more retirement people, I could, I could change things, right? So I always had a sense of urgency. Um, when I wrote my... First book, Predictably Irrational, this was uh, 2008, uh, a while ago. Um, lots more people asked me for advice and, and help and so on. 
And at that period, I became very, very busy. And at that point, I felt that exercising, for example, um, was not a good use of time. Okay. Like I would say, oh, I can go and run for half an hour, or I could answer six emails and give people some some feedback. And it just felt like... Um, then, then, of course, you know, it wasn't a good uh, long-term, long-term strategy. And at some point, I... Uh, I moved to um, not being in, in as good health, and and then I I started exercising a little bit. But but even that, I I would try to um, run uh, while talking to somebody. So I mm-hmm. I was trying to um, to to exercise, but also be be efficient. <laughs> then um, then when COVID hit. Again, I felt that there was just so much to do and so quickly that I neglected uh, my own health. But now I feel it's about time to get back to it. So 2004, uh, 2024 is the is the is the year to get back to back to health. But you know, it it is clearly important, but it feels like. Sometimes it feels like an indulgence given all the things that that needed. <laughs> the other thing I'll say is that I have a very strange relationship with meditation. Do you meditate? Yes. Okay. So tell me, as I, I do. Now it's one of those that I struggle with in regards. To, I, I actually enjoy exercise. I like food, you know, and so I put time into those out of pleasure to some degree, and knowing that it's you know it's going to help me overall. I do know meditation will as well. I'm not as, uh, it's not as exciting for me. It's not as fun for me. And so I struggle. So it it is a much greater effort to meditate than some of the other aspects of personal care, if you will. Yeah. So I I try to meditate once in a while. Mm -hmm. And usually what happens is that uh, all my to-dos come to mind. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Agreed, yeah. And and at the end of the meditation session, I'm even more stressed than when I started, <laughs> because now I I have the whole view of all the things I'm late on and I should be doing. I I think I have a sense that if I kept it for a while, it would get better. Yeah. But but usually the the single experience of trying to meditate leaves me so stressed. Then, uh, then I, then I don't, I don't. Do it. Well, and I've had some great people on the show, as you can imagine, Dan. And you know, the people look at meditation differently, and there's different types of meditation, and and so I try to participate in some different ones. Journaling in the morning, where I do can I can kind of write some thoughts down. I'm not doing the empty mind is is very difficult. Um, and, but even exercise for me is a way that I can kind of drown out some of the thoughts. And just yep. be in an empty space. But you know, back to you, the aspect aspect of health and wellness. I mean, that is one. I, a lot of people listen to this are going to relate to you, like I have as well, where you feel like, gosh, it feels like a luxury to go out and do that when I can help people. Of course, then we look at the health stats, and I realize, well, if I want to help people twenty years from now, right. got to take care of me. So I, I, I appreciate the rub, and I feel like a lot of people here will. And, and the next category, speaking of meditation, is mind it's mental health it's the things yep. that you're looking at and i like to look at it you know from your standpoint of 
of, of mental health, what is driving you to be in the mental state you want to be, you need to be in order to do what you want to do and help others. Yeah. And that's a very interesting and delicate balance. Okay. Because, because on one hand, to get the motivation I'm getting, I feel like I need to touch and understand the things that I most dislike about the human nature. Okay. Um, so to 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 understand the depth the depth of our suffering. And and I feel that I need to know it in order to try and be effective. On the other hand, it's very debilitating. So so as a as a concrete example, um, you know, quickly after the October seventh, I, I went uh, back to Israel as as quickly as I could. Um, and I started working on all kinds of related projects. Um, trying to think about um, how are kids managing and trying to think about PTSD um, and trying to raise money for the people who were um, evacuated and lost um, um, the most, uh, trying to help the families of the hostages. Um, and then I started helping a few of the communities that um, were um, lost, lost the most in terms of people being uh, murdered and, and tortured and hostages. And I, I try to help them um, understand what to do next. Right? So these are people that they, they, wherever they lived is no longer viable. They are basically in hotels and now they need to figure out what they're going to do for an uh, undetermined amount of time until maybe they could or maybe they couldn't go, go back. And I met with people individually, and I met with groups of people, and 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 so on, and 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 to help them uh, figure out what's what's right for them to do next, um, I had to get exposed to lots of very very difficult things. Yeah. Uh, I went back to the places where the massacres happened. I uh, tried to understand what hap- what was the community before. Um, I, I, but, but you know, that's that's a challenge, and it's true for everything. It's not just true for that. Um, you know, in in the beginning, uh, earlier in the year, just before, like in, in not early in the, in just a, like six weeks before that, I was in in Brazil in some of the favelas. Favelas are these very very poor places. There's an NGO that I try to help that are trying to get people out of the favelas. Now you can't you can't help you can't make suggestions or understand how to do things without understanding that level of poverty. Um, so I went and I saw lots of favelas, and these are very very tough places. You know, uh, places where the sewage is open and uh, the kids are playing sometimes in the sewage, and uh, there's poverty and there's illness and there's open wounds, and you know, very very tough. Um, tough to see, tough to like. It you know it's very um, it captures thoughts and dreams and, and nightmares and uh, th- th- there's no way 
not to get deeply into it if you want to try and understand it in order to figure out what what can be done to to improve so now at, at a certain level it becomes too much at a certain level it become too much and just impossible to do anything so that it's a it's a, um, it's a balancing act between like think about anything that you want to improve um you want to improve on you know desperation about poverty you want to help with uh, the feeling of being uh, terrorized you want to help with whatever you want to help that is big and substantial yeah um also means you have to expose yourself to tremendous challenges and and how the, i think the the, mis- the 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 challenge for me is is to both get exposed so that I feel I know and understand and feel and have insights about what could be effective. Because the, the reality is I had to put myself in them. Like it's very easy to, to sit here and say, oh, what should we do with the favelas? Say, oh, let's do A, B, and C. Let's improve the schools. But no, only by being there, understanding the way people live and the nuances and so on, you 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 get a, a beginning sense of what could be done for improving things. So so it's about experiencing things firsthand that are difficult and complex, having insights and understanding of what can be done, and then, of course, it also creates motivation. Uh, my heart uh, goes to those people. I I think about them a lot, and I want to help. So it's a it it it's a balance between. Um, getting exposed and feeling that I have something to do and uh, being motivated. Uh, and, and the thing that helps me, I think, to to keep uh, sane and positive is that I think we could de- do so much better. Right? So I, I, I have a feeling that, yes, you know, this is, if I thought there was nothing to do about this, I would just be depressed with all this exposure, right? If you just say, let's, Let's just watch these things without feeling of doing anything. It will be very, very depressing. But feeling that there is something to do and that it's within reach. And, and in this particular case, I was working with an organization that is really doing magical things to, to lift people out of, out of poverty. That, that, that's the combination for me. That, that's the combination for me. I, I often ask in this aspect of mental, you know, of mind and mental health, what are you at risk of? And I'll ask you, is that it, that it's difficult or that in looking at the severity of some of the situations that you are privileged to be exposed to, that you guard yourself against that depression to look at it and feel to some degrees, even when you can help, how can you help enough? And can it be a feeling of, of hopelessness sometimes that you're, you're fighting to, cause that will debilitate you. That's, you can't go any, that's not going to help anything, but is that a risk? So, so, so my version of this is that, um, my optimism about doing things better mm-hmm relies on the idea that the reason we're not doing better now 
is not because people don't want to, but because they just don't know how. Okay. Right. So when I ask, like, what is, why are so many people uh, under poverty? My, my answer is not because somebody is benefiting from them being in poverty or somebody knows the answer, but they don't know how to. My answer is people haven't figured out easy ways to lift people out of poverty. But, mm-hmm. but the idea is that um, people are interested in good. People are interested in good. And it just needs to make it so that the the good the goodness can come easier with less right. with less effort. But my my struggle is that sometimes it's very hard to believe in the goodness of people. Okay. Um, if you look at what's what the world is now, um, you know sometimes it's tough to believe that. Uh, now I still think the vast majority of people. Uh, want good things but some of our leaders it's a little tougher to to feel this way so so the issue for me is that if people for example if 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 i concluded that some people take joy in other people's suffering uh, and those people take advantage of the system and become leaders and deceive other people, and and they take that that will be devastating, right? Because again, if we say I I need to see a way forward, and for me the way forward is to say we can figure things out and make things better. But but it's because the 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 missing link is the figuring things out, and and if we can only figure things out, it will be it will be better. But if I thought that that people have bad intentions, um, and and in fact uh, all people want is to is to create more harm, uh, or at least some people or the people in power that they just want to create harm, um, that that will be devastating. So I I need, and um, you know I've, I've been thinking about it because the last few years have been have been very tough in terms of kind of thoughts about good and evil um but but i still um you know there's lots of evidence that lots some people especially people in some position of powers don't want goodness uh but but i haven't changed my worldview yet so i'm i'm fighting that I want to I want to anchor or end on that in your worldview, looking at the category of work, of your vocation, of what you do. I mean, we've heard obviously a lot all through the thread here. What drives you in it? Have you seen your drive again? Those values pushing you forward. The beliefs back to your beliefs having changed i mean you've been at this for a while and you're in it more and more every day have they changed have they evolved or have they stayed static yeah so so in my in my world the world of research um the bigger ob- the biggest obstacle is bureaucracy so think about something like privacy right there's lots of rules now about privacy and I think that unintentionally, the rules of privacy 
are making it impossible to move forward in some ways, right? And and um, and all of a sudden, the the struggle to move forward is more is more difficult. Imagine I wanted to understand something about health, or I wanted to understand something about financial decision making. Sure. Or I wanted to understand something about the spread of misinformation. The the rules the rules for privacy are such that like we can't make progress uh, in some of those things. So it's not easy to make progress. So um, and so on. So. So I think it is. It is more difficult. It is more difficult. I. I'm not ready to give up, but, but I think there is something that is disturbing me, which is, let's just talk about fake news. The people who want to. Push out fake information have an easier and easier time with no restrictions. And the people who want to prevent that from happening are having a harder and harder time. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's difficult. That's difficult. I, I'm not ready to, to stop, but I, I, I would say that if I look at the last 10 years of social science, um, I think that the, um, the fight between trying to figure out how things work and suggest improvements um, are getting tougher and tougher. Whereas the people who want to destroy things have an easier and easier time. Um, but but we, we do need to figure this out. We do need to figure this out, right? At, at the end of the day, um, life is about trade-offs and we need to, to figure out how to make better trade-offs. Well, friends, thanks for being with us to hear what drives Dan Ariely, what his beliefs are. Boy, so much wealth and richness in the efforts that he's uh, doing to help um, in his area of the world. And we all have the chance to help in our areas of the world as well. So I hope what you heard there was as inspiring and as, and as equipping for you as it was for me. His book, again, which is uh, it, it's selling really well, a testimony to the value people are finding in it. And I am as well. And it's called misbelief, misbelief. What makes rational people believe irrational things? Again, if you didn't hear our first talk together in the previous episode, I would encourage you to listen to that. This aspect of beliefs continues to be a core foundational issue around what drives us. If you got value from the show, I would greatly appreciate you giving us a rating on Spotify or a rating and a review on Apple podcast that helps the show get seen and, uh, and experienced by other people. You can find us on YouTube where people are watching these whole shows now, uh, more and more. And on social media, we put a lot of clips and you can find me at kevinmiller.co. And if you want to address your own personal drive, course, I would have you check out my book, What Drives. You can find that on Amazon in any format that you want. And until our next episode and time together, stay driven. Yeah.